0: Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Les was talking about the wineskins and you're gonna hear a lot about that over the next few weeks. Those wineskins are very interesting. It's an interesting parable that Jesus talks about when he says that new wine cannot go into old wine skins. You see, wine skins were made out of animal skin. And as new wine goes into a new wine skin, the fermentation process causes it to expand. And the elasticity of a new wine skin goes with that. Once it's emptied out, once the wine is consumed, those wine skins dry up. You may think of an old glove sitting around the house or uh, maybe an old Bible cover, even that dries up and becomes brittle. That's that's the texture of what those wine skins would be like. So, if you poured new wine into old wine skins, that fermentation process would start. It would expand, and those wine skins would burst. So, this the philosophy of this new wine cannot go into old wine skins. So, there's all, always a deeper spiritual significance to Jesus' words. And he wanted his hearers to understand that what he was bringing into the world would not fit into their worldview. The way we understand God, his people, others, ourselves, our purpose, the world around us. What he was bringing would, and what would be created from this new wine was not a modification of the old, it was something totally new. Jesus was bringing a new way of relating to God and we often understand this new creation as an individual concept. And that understanding is not totally wrong, but it's not quite complete. So we need to understand that the new creation is not limited to an individual. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he wasn't talking to us as individuals, he was talking to us as a community. We are the salt of the earth, the Big Sea Church, the ones who do believe. Unfortunately, in many ways, the new that Jesus brought has been kind of set aside because we wanna hang on to this old religious tradition, the old wineskins. We try so hard to to take this new wine that Jesus has given us and keep putting it into this old religious system that you've heard so much about over the last couple years. But over the next eight weeks, we're about to begin moving from a two-year season of transition to a new season of transformation. However, we must realize that we will not be able to contain the new wine that Jesus has given to us if we continue to hang on to those old wineskins. Let's pray together. God, we ask for you to be with us today. We are thankful for what we've already done as we've worshiped you, God, as we've been able to remember and celebrating through communion, remembering the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Remember the promise that he gave when he talked about his body and his blood, that they are symbols to help us remember. Help us remember what he did for us on the cross and then three days later when he rose. So God, we ask that you be with us during this service. As we break open your word, God, as we look into it, we ask that you plunder around in our own hearts as we gain some more knowledge and understanding of what this means. But God, it does not stay here. That we take it from this place as we will continue to discuss this morning. So God, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. I hope everybody's doing well. Everybody's... Safely socially distanced. Anybody feel awkward? Somebody sitting too close? Don't raise your hand. Please don't. That would be more awkward, wouldn't it? Like, ooh. So, kind of weird times for us, right? So, today we're gonna kind of look through and and see this thread that runs through scripture pointing to this new creation that is all throughout the text from the old testament to the new testament. And it may not be all that comfortable. When Brandon asked me to, to preach today, it was, uh, you know, he gave a, a little bit of guidance, but it, it was a little broad. But also as we began to talk through, through the week, it became more and more clear as to what God was really wanting me to say and, and the text he wanted me to use. And, but it got more and more comf- uncomfortable the more I looked at it. Because on one hand, it's really, it's really not that difficult to believe in God. And it's really not another step that would even be difficult to say, I believe in Jesus and I'm a Christian. I believe. But is that all salvation is? Just believing. And that's where we're going to go today. So that, that discomfort can be kind of strange sometimes. So maybe you've been in an uncomfortable situation before. I, I have the privilege to be able to serve as as chaplain, with our sheriff's office and with our EMS and, and a lot of first responders here and 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 get that opportunity to sit with them and and, uh, and and things that they see and deal with and and help process that. so i'm I'm at the office um, at least one day a week for a, for a meeting or two, and uh, just to spend time with these men and women who serve our community. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be there at the same time that the Air National Guard was there offering coronavirus testing. Well, you know, when you have opportunities to do things, I, I I look for more opportunities like somebody's giving away cars. I'd like to be in that meeting, but this wasn't quite that, you know? So someone said, Joe, do you want to get a test while you're here? And I'm thinking, no, not really. Um, but the, the more I thought about it, I kept thinking like, yeah, I may go ahead and get one, but first thing that came to mind was like, what if I'm positive, you know? Then I like disappear for 14 days. Like, where did he go? All right. That's one thing. But the second thing, and probably was the bigger deal, was having that thing shoved in my nose. That was really the issue for me. I'm not a nose person. I I don't like things near my nose, in my nose that don't belong there. Right? So I decided to go ahead and go through with, I walk in there and they're all masked up and Tyvek suit. It looks like they're dealing with like nuclear weapons, not coronavirus stuff. So I go in there and I, I sit down and this lady, I think it was a lady. All I could see was this. So she had like, you know, four or five, six masks on and, and just white Tyvek suit, and like a respirator. I didn't know if she was going scuba diving or if she was scuba diving in my nose. But anyway, she pulls out this this swab and you know, it's, it's about this long to start with and it's bendy. And uh, she says, just relax, lean your head back and just relax. And okay, those are the famous last words you hear from a doctor or nurse, right? So just relax. So she shoves this thing in there and oh my word, right? So she said, it's gonna have to go to the bottom. I, <laughs> wherever that is. So I didn't know there was a bottom. So she gets in there and it goes all the way and then it, burr, and it stops. And then I'm thinking, there's another nostril, right? She's going to have to do this again. So somebody asked me, did you uh, did it feel like you made you want to cry or anything? I was like, not really. I feel like I wanted to punch to the nurse. That's what I wanted to do. But I think they put some type of paralytic in there. Because you can't move anything when something's shoved in your nose all the way to your nasal cavity. I didn't, th- I didn't know that. You may not have known that. I wouldn't try it at home just to see if you're paralytic or just randomly shove something in somebody else's nose to see if they can slap you. I wouldn't do that. But I couldn't move, right? So I was very uncomfortable in this entire situation. Um, good news, negative, all right? So just, I know you're kind of wondering, like, <laughs> is he going to tell us? <laughs> um, so that, that was good news. But this whole situation, right, is, a, is, is somewhat uncomfortable. We've gone from extremes to being fearful, to being like, tired of it, to, to not knowing what to do. I can read something and I can feel like, man, this is just, this is a numbers game. They're just trying to, to, trying to keep me in my house. And I read something else and I don't want to leave the house, right? So it's just according to what you read. And how you feel. But it, it's all kind of uncomfortable. And that's, this is kind of where this message is today. Is to It's a little bit uncomfortable to, to really be challenged as to go, what goes beyond this belief that, I'm, that I have or I, I feel like I should have. So there have been years of debate about the church being this come and see structure versus this go and serve structure. As if there has to be one or the other. Like come and see what we're doing, come be a part of what we're doing, or the church is here to go and serve other people. And scripture is filled with the mandate to care for others. There's no doubt about that. I think the most effective way to do this is to step out into the uncomfortable and meet people where they are. That's how we're supposed to be. Well, in Isaiah chapter one, and and you can turn there if you'd like, we're going to read a few scriptures in Isaiah and then then hit a couple of other scriptures, but it'll be on the Sky Bible as well if you don't have yours with you. Um, Or you can look on with a neighbor if you live with them or you came with them, right? So keep socially distancing. So God's obviously very frustrated here in Isaiah. Right off the bat, the very first verse of Isaiah, and, and these are, this is God kind of speaking, and Isaiah speaking on behalf of God and, and, and documenting this, but Isaiah chapter one, verse one, and he's really going off on the people of Israel. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. And he begins to quote God. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Now skip down to verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So God did not call the people to be more religious It was the emptiness of their religiousness that God condemned here. How about the words of Amos? He condemned war, injustice, economic greed, gross immorality, the oppression of the poor, bribery, and business deceit. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So it's more important to get, so is it more important to get people saved or to help people in their hurts? I think both are important, but are they equal? Let's see what Jesus says about it. It's true there are certain passages that emphasize personal salvation and belief. How about the Philippian jailer who asked Paul and Silas the question, What must I do to be saved? Paul's response, simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Very simple, right? We teach it. We believe that. This may not be all that Paul said to him. It just may be all that was recorded, but it was a simple answer to his question. But it's not possible to put the full meaning of the gospel into one statement. We have to look at all the teachings of the gospel. So that takes us back to Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39 that I already read to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment that I give. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Even here, there's this emphasis on the personal, what you do to believe, And on the social, love your neighbor, someone else, as yourself. So I think we can agree that salvation is believing and that it is simple. God made that path easy for us. However, we also have to give the most careful consideration to other passages where social involvement is emphasized as being central In the salvation relationship. What happens after we believe? What are we called to do to just sit in our belief? Yep, I believe. I'm happy as as I can be right here. I'm gonna sit right here and I'm gonna keep on believing. I think it's a little bit more than that. In the parable of the two sons in Matthew chapter 21, you, you may remember this parable. And those of you who, who don't, it, it, it's a simple little parable that Jesus brings up. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. They sound like some of your sons, right? But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will. Now, this really sounds like our sons, right? I will, but he never went. (laughs) Take out the trash. Okay. And then it's coming over the top, right? I'll get to it. So the first son repents and goes when he said, no, I'm not going to go. I can't do this. And then he repents and kind of comes to his senses. and says, all right, I'll go ahead and go work. The second son says he will, but never goes. The one son was condemned, not because he did not believe, but because he did not go work in my vineyard. Jesus also spoke words of judgment when he said, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. And the reason given was not that they did not believe. Their sin was that they had failed to produce fruit. Also, Jesus said that the kingdom would not be given to those who believed better, but it would be given to a people who will produce its fruit. Luke 18, 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Very similar question that was asked of Paul and Silas. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question. But Jesus' reply was different. The reply of Jesus was not to believe, but rather to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then follow me. So we've heard all kinds of messages, evangelistic messages from Paul's reply. I know I have hundreds of times. That'll preach. Preach on. Get them to believe, get them saved. But we tend to reject Jesus' reply a little bit, right? It gets a little bit more uncomfortable when, wait a minute, I I believe, but I don't want to sell my stuff. (laughs) Certainly don't want to give it away. Jesus tries to explain what believing in him really means when he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them in Matthew chapter 7. He goes on to say in verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, one final thought on this and should drive the point home, and we'll move on. In the parable of the last judgment or the sheep and the goats, it may be say something or a different title in your Bible in Matthew chapter 25, it becomes pretty clear. Those who entered the kingdom were those who had fed the hungry, given drink to the thirsty, clothed the naked, visited the sick, and those in prison. Those who were rejected were those who failed to do these things. But when they protested that they did not know when they had failed to minister to him in these ways, his reply was, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So this is not salvation by works, all right? So don't hear this is not salvation by works. We don't earn our way, we don't have to do things to be saved. Salvation is still God's gracious and free gift that he gives to each one of us and offers that anytime that we are there to receive it. That whole knock, God knocks on at the door of our heart, those sayings, all those things, it's all true. God wants to, to, to work in our lives and live in our lives but this does help explain what salvation means and what salvation involves. The ministry of Jesus is a living demonstration of our concern or his concern for persons in their human need. Our ministry is also a living demonstration of our concern for persons in their human need. It transfers straight to us. When we start this relationship with Christ, we also begin to have that, that, ur- that urging, that softening of our heart, that openness to, to the needs around us that begins to happen in us. So let's talk about old wineskins for a moment. Why do we keep going back to them? Why do we keep trying to use them over and over and over and spilling this wine everywhere? this good new stuff that Christ has given us, why is it that we we have it and we put it in old wineskins and it just goes to waste? The world's told us that we can do anything we wanna do, right? Read this book and you can do anything you wanna do. Buy this, listen to this podcast, purchase this online, you can do anything you wanna do. Buy this new exercise equipment, right? It also tells the world also tells us we can do multiple things because we have power in technology. We have one of the most powerful computers ever known to man in our pockets or our purses, right? We can reach anybody in the world by tapping a button. We can answer any question. We can Google it. We can come up with anything. We can do multiple things at one time. During this time of the of the this this pandemic. Many of us have used Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or whatever you've had to continue to work or stay connected to people. Do multiple things at one time, right? you can be on a Zoom meeting and check your email at the same time. I know nobody's done that, work-related, right? You're up there paying attention, right? Not secretly muted yourself or your video, like you're still there. <laughs> yep. caught you. So, We can do these multiple things. And that's what the world tells us. Do more, do more, do more. But what if we considered that we all seek God's direction for one ministry each? Think about that. Instead of trying to do a bunch of different things, what if everyone in this room today said, I'm gonna do one thing? Just just one thing. You see, one of the weaknesses of the church is that those individuals who are willing to work are so overloaded with responsibilities, they simply do not have time to do anything well. It's the 80-20 rule, common through churches for centuries. 20% of the people do 100% of the work, right? Right? It's a a common thing. It's been talked about forever. Another problem is that interests become too spread out. Well, I kind of like this. I kind of like that. I want to do this. I want to do that. We have just our our hands in in several different things. But we're concerned because it goes back to that God has spoken to us and and he's worked in our life and we've accepted Christ and we've made him Lord of our life. So we're starting to get this heart to be concerned for things. And we are concerned about things. We're concerned for our teenagers and our children and and what's going on with them in the world. We're concerned about poverty and racism and the coronavirus and pollution, the lonely and alienated, just to throw a few out there. We're concerned about those things. So what do we do? Well, too often, nothing. I firmly believe that. Too often, we do nothing. We're simply Interested in all of those things because God's given us a heart to hurt for them. But we're just interested in them. We talk about the problems and disapprove of the conditions, but concrete and specific action just doesn't happen. Because I don't think it's expected of the believer to take action in every area of need. It's impossible. So again, I ask you, What if we focused on one thing? When we sense a call from God, we seriously become involved and seek to make a difference. Each one of us, we hear that call from God and we do that one thing. We make time to fulfill that ministry. We have motivation to lead and to be led. We find ways to be equipped to do what God has called us to do if we begin to think of a serious involvement, a commitment to the lives of other people, we will have to say with Paul, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. But for some reason, traditionally, old wineskins, they look like the gathering of people meetings to talk about the issues but never do anything about them. We just talk about them. I have to realize that I cannot do everything, but I must do something. I must trust that others, you, will also hear God's call and respond and fulfill that mission that may or may not be the same as mine. Hopefully they're not, because we're a diverse group with diverse calls from God. And we're in all types of different places in our community. So it would be hard pressed to say that many of us would have the same exact call. The other day I was out in the back of the property, we have a string of trees over there next to us and and Sally Z. And I decided to go over there and trim those trees. They hadn't been trimmed before since we moved into the building. It's just a side job, something I enjoy doing, trimming trees, right? <laughs> no, I don't. So I go over there, I got what I need and I I'm deciding I'm going to jump on this. Well, these are the types of trees that um, when you stick your arm in there to cut a limb, they eat you, all right? They just grab you and you can't get off of it and you're just hanging on and, and trying not to use words that are unbecoming of anything. And, and I mean, they just grabbed a hold of me and I was fighting them and I'd cut a limb and I was like, I am not going back in there. So I go to another tree and I try to cut that limb and it would grab me and I was just fighting with these trees out there all by myself. Glad there was no video surveillance going on that I know of. So I decided, all right, I'm gonna need to commit to one tree at a time. I need to just go in here, take all the limbs off of this tree and that'll kind of give me a guide as to how high they need to be and blah, 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 right? Now I'm an arborist, okay? I'm a professional, but I thought about that in relationship to this calling that God puts on each of us. And what we do most of the time, few of us, few people who attend church because the masses do not attend church, but us as the minority, we try to go out there and just cut this one. And we cut this one. And oh my gosh, here's another one over here I need to get. Instead of focusing our energy and our time in one place. I need to make this investment into this one tree and shape it exactly how it's supposed to be shaped. It's, it's kind of like a, a magnifying glass. I don't know how many psychopaths are in here, um, but many of us growing up, we use the magnifying glass to kill ants, right? Let's just admit it. We took the magnifying glass and we had it down. In the sun would come through that magnifying glass and we'd focus it, right? But if it's, if it's diffused, if we just hold the magnifying glass up and just kind of look around, it's not focused on anything. We have to get it just right. to catch that ray of sunshine coming through it and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets to that point and it starts a fire. <laughs> Literally, it could start a fire. And that's what I think God is calling us to do is to, is to take that energy, focus it in one place where it actually makes a difference not just diffused across the entire yard or or the entire world. The old wineskins, the big C church continues to be created as a come and see and come and get structure. Come on in, come on in. We're, We're gonna show you something. The church says, if you come, we will lead you in worship. A small group or Sunday school class says, if you come to us, we will teach you about God. We will teach you. We will train you here in our building. Just come on. Come on. We, you need to come here though. The church has said, if you don't come to our meetings, then we really don't have any ministry for you to do. You need to come here and volunteer. This is why the church places so much emphasis on trying to get people to attend meetings. Because we can't do anything for them unless they attend. We try to make it more comfortable, more attractive, do whatever we can. Let's have this kind of night or this kind of day or whatever it may be to attract people to church. This has to change. It has to change. Jesus never did ministry like this. He did not insist that people come to him. He went to them and ministered to them. We cannot wait for people to come to a building. The church must go to the world. It has to. We'll never, never fulfill what Revelation tells us that we are called to fulfill by waiting on people to come here. It will not happen. It is improbable. It's mathematically impossible. It cannot happen. The truth is the masses of people are not coming. They don't attend church. If you count up all the people that attend church today, across the world, it is a minority of people. The masses are not attending church. And reaching the masses in a building rarely meets the needs of any individual. From time to time, maybe, but for the most part, no. If we, the church, ever expect to minister in any serious way to the world, it must be a ministry that is given to people where they are in the world. We have to become a go structure, a go and serve structure. Now, does that mean that we don't have the central location where people do congregate? No. There's a a balance that happens there. You have to have both. You have to have this central place where where training does happen. But most of all, you have a central place where worship happens. And worship is not something that we just are are looking forward to. It's something that we have to do. It's a response to everything that's going on in our lives. It's a response that says, you're not going to believe what happened to me this week. You're not going to believe what happened in, in my workplace where I was given the opportunity to share and I was courageous enough to do it. I took the, took the time and, and sat with somebody. I went into this neighborhood and I made a difference because God called me to and I would be a disobedient human being if I didn't do it. That's how passionate I am about it. That's when celebration happens in worship. It's kind of like the eye of a hurricane. If you think about the eye of a hurricane where all this energy is happening and things are spinning off of this hurricane, these, these bands that we hear about, they spin out of this hurricane and affect people negatively, obviously, but this is a positive hurricane. And those bands that, that come off of this central place or central places, the big Sea church, not necessarily a building, not necessarily a something with a post office box, but, but literally the concept of the big Sea church is training and equipping people to go out and these bands are making a difference in people's lives. They're going through and permeating um, neighborhoods and schools and and, and in homes where where lives are being shattered, where racism is happening and and where where people are starving and are, are thirsty. Those things are being changed by these waves and these bands that are coming out. The old wineskin Big C Church has a tendency to do a lot of meeting. So these bands are not really going out. They're just staying right here in the middle and just sitting and meeting and meeting and meeting. And the meetings tend to be so introverted. We meet together and we talk about a problem. We talk about that problem. We talk about how it ought to change. This is, I think, what we should do about this. And then we close in prayer. And we come back the next week and we have another problem. We talk about that problem. We talk about what we ought to do to change that problem and then we close in prayer. So most of the meetings consist mostly of talk, right? Just talk. Church meetings are similar to football practice, I think. Especially now that football practice beginning, I think, tomorrow in most places in the state for high school and other places, there's gonna be a lot of talk. (laughs) Not a lot of touching. Not a lot of not all, a lot of football stuff going on, a lot of talk. But they're directly related to the importance of the game to be played that week. So in terms of a regular football practice, they're directly related to the game that's coming up. So if you think about the upcoming game as a throwaway game or a, a moneymaker game for a school, Florida remembers this. Y'all may remember that game. Uh, so for Georgia Southern, then the coach has a real problem trying to get people excited about the game and to work hard and be serious about practice when it's just a game that, eh, it's not that big a deal. We beat them every year, it's not that big a deal. However, if the upcoming game is a rival, it's a little bit more important, Georgia Southern, App State, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and whoever they play, Just motivation, right? You have motivation to to concentrate and be serious about practice. Practice is heightened because we have a job to do. The same thing is true in churches. Motivation for meetings is directly related to the importance of the game being played that week. This is not the game. This is not what we look forward to to prepare for worship. This is a celebration of the game that goes on all week long. That's where the game is. It's out there. It's not in here. The problem in the church is we never actually play the game. We simply spend all our time practicing or having meetings or talking about the problems, talking about the game. It gets harder and harder to get folks to meet because we never seriously consider playing the game. In fact, some of us don't even know what the game is we're preparing to play. There would be others who wouldn't even come out for practice if they seriously thought they might have to play in the game and even more hesitant to come to a meeting because they might get hurt if they play. Others would be willing to play the game if it were played on a home field in the church, right? It's kind of more comfortable here. Air zone, can raise my hand, you know, a little bit. Kind of feel a little comfortable here. It's my home field advantage, feel more secure. We have our own referees, we play by our own rules. However, if we thought about playing the game on the opponent's field in the world where it must be played, then infinitely fewer people would be willing to play. You see, on the opponent's field, out there, with their refs, playing by their rules, anything can happen. Out there, we're completely exposed to the world. But that's how we become influential. Right? That's how we become influential to really help people. This past week, Eric Gatto, one of our elders, shared a message with our staff um, this past Monday. And it was just, there was a, a, a phrase in there that he used that has stuck with me where I want to kind of end today. And he said, we cannot have influence without proximity. We cannot have influence without proximity. And, and there are several things that came out to me. I'm thinking, God, in the middle of a pandemic, that's like the worst thing ever. I'm just going to be demoralized. I can't be approximated to anybody so how do we have proximity not only in the middle of this time but to really realize this is the only thing that's going to give me influence And I think we're hopefully we're on the hopefully we're on the tail end of this to some degree the downhill the crushing of the curve whatever however you want to call it whatever we're doing is and it's important absolutely to do what we're we're called to do and what our leaders are trying to tell us to do to to continue to to work through this. But at the same time, God calls us to, to be in proximity with other people. And for all of us, that means something different. But I think it doesn't have anything to do with being in a building and just believing that God is real and that he can live in my life. It doesn't stop there. There's so much more to be done. So we could all sit here and believe and, and just leave here and go get our roast out of the oven and have a good Sunday afternoon. And that's all well and good. And the majority of us, is probably what we do. And we don't think about our faith again until we getting ready on Saturday and thinking, oh gosh, I gotta go to church tomorrow. Yeah, they open back up, we gotta go now. But it just kind of stops there. We believe, we truly believe. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and he lives in our life. But for some reason, like the son who said, yeah, dad, I'll go I'll go to the field. I'm, I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna go do that for you. And we never go. We never do what God has called us to do. So there's a couple of things I want to end with today. And the first one is that, kind of that obvious one is, now, I'm not ready to, to go out and do these things that I'm called to do. I feel like I do help people, but this kind of seems empty because it doesn't, I'm not taking the gospel with me because it's not in me right now. So maybe that's something you need to do today is as, as just a starting and a stepping off point. Your next step is to say right today, I need Christ in my life. I need to accept him and let him be Lord of my life so that I can take my next step to carry out this salvation, to walk it out in the world, to take it from this place in this building and put it to work where God wants me to work. So if that's you today and you need to begin that process right here and right now, do it like we do each and every week. Just make a bold statement just by standing to your feet so we can celebrate with you, pray with you, and walk you through that step. So anybody here today who wants to make that decision, just stand to your feet. We wanna celebrate with you. Anybody here today? All right, so if we're all still seated, I'm gonna make the assumption that at least the majority of us are those who believe. We're saying by remaining seated that There is that step, I've taken that step. I do believe in the Son of God and I believe that Jesus lives in my life. It's awesome. But what is that one thing? What is that one thing that God is calling you to do? Not here in a church building, but out there in the world. Is God calling you to to work in a neighborhood that you may not be comfortable in? Is God calling you to take a stand in your workplace, in your school, with your friend group, adult, kid, teenager, doesn't matter. What is God calling you to do? What is that one thing? Not a list of things, one thing. Because between our first service and this service, if we have 300 or so people who say, I wanna do one thing, wow. We could blow the gates of hell open with that, couldn't we? So as we close today, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you want to pray right where you are, but I want to take just a moment as we close to, to pray. I want to pray for you. Um, pray for myself. Pray for our families. As we think through that, asking ourselves that question, what is the one thing that God is calling me to do? What is the one ministry, the one place of service that He wants me to be and give it everything I've got taking that magnifying glass and focus in it and becoming courageous in it. So let's stand to our feet. We'll take just a moment to pray. If you wanna come down to the front and pray, you can. And I'll close this in just a moment. God, as we pray this morning and as we lift our hearts to you and every person in here is maybe anxious about leaving this place and doing what needs to be done next on the to-do list, God, I pray for just, just a moment to pause, to really listen to you and to take seriously what you want from us, not that you need something from us, but you want this for us as we grow. As we walk out this faith, not just to be saved, but we take our salvation to another level to do what you've called us to do. To serve, to be in the deepest, darkest places with people. To walk out a faith that is alive and well in this community. So God, as the church, help us to go from here, make a difference in our community, in our family, and wherever we may be. So God, we thank you and we love you. It's your son's name we pray, amen. God, have a great week.